Section 14 of The Bible Under Trial. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Bible Under Trial by James Orr. The Citadel Christ. Parts 4 and 5. Part 4. It is now our turn to look at these theories of a non-miraculous Christ with critical eyes and to ask how far their own principle in the hands of these writers can be consistently carried through and, if it is, with what results. Suppose, for example, the physical miracles are surrendered in obedience to this denial of the miraculous. Of course, they are not surrendered. What of the spiritual miracle, the sinlessness of Christ? Here is something, supposing it granted, quite as much above the sphere of nature as we know it as truly requiring a supernatural cause to explain it, as any miracle of power. Here in the Gospels is the picture of the one being in history who, with unparalleled spiritual insight, betrays absolutely no consciousness of sin in himself, who knows no repentance who was accepted by those who knew him best as without sin, who is the physician, savior, forgiver of sinners, but never classes himself with them, whose recorded words, acts, spirit, and total behavior bear out this character of spotless holiness and unbroken unity of will with God. How is such an one to be fitted into the natural scheme? Can it be done? It cannot be done. Not one of these writers but hedges when he comes to the question of the sinlessness of Jesus. Professor Foster will go no further than to say that he is the best we know. Page 482. Professor Schmidt says he seems to have had no morbid sense of sin. His consciousness of imperfection was swallowed up in the sense of divine love. Page 25. Footnote. Sin has little place in this writer's book at all. His index does not mention it in any connection. End of footnote. Both Writers lay stress on Christ's word. No one is good but God, and infer from it that he remained conscious of this great distance from God. Foster, page 345. C.F. Schmidt, page 152. Bousset, page 202. The author of the novel Holy Land affirms boldly his nature was not wholly free from evil and refuses to be bound even by his morality page three hundred and fifty nine 
indeed plays loose with morality in his book to the degree of sanctioning immorality. Footnote. A sympathetic expounder of the ideas of Frensen's book writes, If his theological teaching is considered dangerous by many, his moral teaching and its probable effect on the youth of Germany is regarded with still more trepidation. No wonder that even one of his friends in the liberal camp says, We are afraid for the youth of our land. Scotsman, October 20th, 1906. End of footnote. Thus, under the new influences, the decomposition of even Christ's moral image and moral doctrine proceeds. All it must be contended in wanton defiance of the historical reality. Or take what is left us by the better class of these writers, a great, spiritual, forceful personality, with true nature of God and elevation and originality of moral character, qualifying him to be the spiritual leader of mankind. How is even this to be accounted for? Does the non-miraculous view of Christ explain it? Here, strangely enough, in Professor Foster's book, we come on something singularly like a retraction of the proposition with which we had set out, viz. that nothing can be admitted of the nature of miracle. For now we are explicitly told what is most true, that Jesus is inexplicable psychologically, causally, or by evolutionary development. Pages 265 and 267 that something derived creatively from God is necessary to explain his consciousness. Psychological analysis, we read, collapses on the immediacy of his consciousness. Ultimately, we stand before the insoluble datum of his certainty of a special communion with God and of his knowledge of God arising thereby. It is not possible to escape from the recognition of an active and creative moment in the consciousness of Jesus, which, just on that account, cannot be causally explained. Page 265. The empirical inexplicability of Jesus may as well be conceded. Page 267. True, but is there not here the breakup of the author's earlier scheme of thought, in which no room seemed left for the immediate entrance of God into either the material or the spiritual order? And if empirically inexplicable facts occur in the spiritual order, why may they not occur in the natural order as well? Is the former less a domain of law than the latter? All this, however, it is to be confessed, does not carry us very far. It leaves us still far short of that perfect oneness of thought and will with the Father. Matthew chapter 11 verse 27, which, combined with Christ's consciousness of his own unique dignity and place in revelation, and with claims, functions, 
prerogatives which no ordinary messenger of God ever dared to claim only finds its adequate explanation in that relation to the Father going beyond all time which the Pauline epistles and fourth gospel unfold to us. This perfect solidarity of Christ with God, to use a phrase of rituals, is as much a fact of the first three Gospels as it is of the Gospel of John. It was not as alleged from Alexandrian philosophy or any form of metaphysics, but as John tells us with his feet on the earth as the result of what he had himself seen, heard, beheld, handled of Jesus, that this apostle rose to the assurance that in him the life was manifested, even the eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested unto us. First John chapter 1 verse 2 Or, as he states it in the Gospel, we beheld his glory, glory as of an only begotten from the Father, and so were able to affirm the word became flesh and dwelt among us, full of grace and truth. John chapter 1 verse 14. It is in vain that criticism tries to eliminate these supernatural traits from the portrait of Jesus in the Gospels. The parts of Christ's history and teaching which the critics accept stand in inseparable relation with the parts which they reject in the unity of a picture so superhuman, so original, so perfect, that the idea of its creation by irresponsible legend-mongers of the second or third Christian generation may be put out of court as an impossibility. Only the most arbitrary manipulation, e.g., can expunge from the Gospels the lofty messianic claims and the eschatological discourses and utterances in which Jesus predicts his return in glory to judge the world. Footnote. The alleged failure of these predictions will be remarked on after. Cafton well shows that Christ's mind never wavered as the new writers represent on his messianic calling. If anything in his life is historically certain, it is this, that Jesus, from beginning to end, reckoned with unshaken confidence on the vindication of his messiahship by the Father. Page 21. End of footnote. He is not, like others, a simple member of the kingdom of God, but himself the founder of the kingdom and king and lord over it. He alone mediates to men the knowledge of the Father. They are sons of God by admission into the kingdom. He is the Son, distinct and unique in his relation to the Father. Others are exhorted to faith. The term faith or cognate terms are never once applied to Jesus in the Gospels. He knows the Father. His relation is too intimate, immediate, reciprocal to be described by the weaker term. 
The difficulty of the critics is to reconcile with these claims the modesty of one whom, with all Christendom, they recognize as the perfect pattern of meekness, self-abnegation, and suffering dignity. Part 5 What more is to be said on this subject must be reserved till we come to the discussion of the Gospels themselves. Meanwhile, I would only point out that, for such an one, even as the first three Gospels depict him, there is no incongruity but the divinest fitness alike in the manner of his entering the world by a supernatural birth and in the manner of his exit from it by resurrection and ascension. I may close this paper accordingly by a few words on these cardinal points, the virgin birth of Christ and the resurrection. In recent years, there has been an almost virulent assault upon the narratives in Matthew and Luke of the virgin birth of Jesus, and, led away by plausible reasonings, too many have been induced to surrender these narratives as legendary or lightly to admit that belief in this article is unessential to faith in Christ as the incarnate word. The alleged discrepancies in the narratives are paraded, but special stress is laid upon the fact that the story of the nativity is not found in Mark, the oldest gospel, or in John, was apparently not known to Paul or other writers in the New Testament, was not known in the early church, etc. But a great deal more is here asserted than anyone can ever prove. On the historical point, it may be sufficient to say that, apart from the Jewish Ebionites and certain of the Gnostic sects, no body of Christians is ever known to have existed which did not receive as part of their faith the birth of Jesus from the Virgin. It is a curious irony which makes the narrowest and most retrograde of Jewish Christian sects, the Nazarenes, or more tolerant party, accepted the belief, the true representatives of apostolic Christianity. As respects the witness of the New Testament, the facts about the Gospels are not correctly stated. It is true that Mark, who commences his Gospel, however, with the words, the beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has not this narrative, but then he has nothing to say of the infancy and early life of Jesus at all is therefore not a witness either yea or nay. John similarly does not narrate the earthly birth of Jesus, but contents himself with the heavenly descent. The word became flesh, he declares. How, he does not tell. But surely the very assertion of so transcendent a fact is in itself in keeping with what is narrated in the other Gospels. John had unquestionably the other Gospels in his hands, and there is not the least reason to suppose that he meant to contradict them. The silence of these two Gospels, therefore, proves nothing. 
On the other hand, we have the fact that the two Gospels which do narrate the birth of Jesus declare him to have been, in the words of the Creed, conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary. Paul's silence, again, is not wonderful if we remember that it was not Paul's habit to relate the facts of Christ's life. It is Paul's companion, Luke, nevertheless, who gives one of the narratives of the miraculous birth, and Paul can hardly be supposed ignorant of what Luke knew. Has Paul, moreover, nothing supernatural in view when he speaks of the second man from heaven? 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 47 and of Jesus as born of a woman born under the law Galatians chapter 4 verse 4 footnote literally made or become of a woman not as in Matthew chapter 11 verse 11 and a footnote there were obvious reasons why much should not be said publicly on this subject while Mary lived. The bearings of Christian faith of this miracle of Christ's entrance into the world will be belittled by no one who reflects clearly on what incarnation means. Miracle is probably involved, in part even on the physical side, in the creation of a sinless personality. It is certainly involved in the entrance of the eternal Son of God into union with our humanity. This may not prove, indeed, that precisely this mode of miraculous entrance by birth from a virgin was necessary. But if the general fact of miracle in Christ's birth is admitted, there will not be usually much stumbling at the gospel narratives. Footnote. I have discussed this subject with some fullness in a paper on the miraculous conception in my volume on Richlianism. End of footnote. That Christ was not holden by death, but rose from the dead on the third day is the belief on which by universal admission, the Christian Church from its first beginnings reposed. The fact is certain that within a few weeks of their Lord's crucifixion and burial, the first apostles were energetically proclaiming that Jesus was risen from the dead in the streets of the very city where he had been crucified. It was in no weak and credulous spirit that this fact was accepted. Paul writes on the subject with the fullest sense of responsibility, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 15, and gives his evidence in detail, verses 4 through 8. The Gospels fill out the story with circumstantial narratives which must have emanated from the first circle of disciples, and which, despite a few difficulties in harmony, very natural in the circumstances, vibrate with the consciousness of truth. Pentecost follows Easter, Acts chapter 2, and confirms and ratifies its message. The doctrinal bearings of the resurrection are manifoldly elucidated. 
By it, the seal was placed on Christ's whole work and claims. Through it, he became the first fruits of them that slept. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 20 In it, the work of redemption is completed with inclusion of the body. Romans chapter 8 verse 23 And a sure hope of immortality is opened to the world. 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 10 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 3 Against this great cornerstone of Christian faith and hope, the waves of skepticism have ever beat in vain. Theory after theory has been invented to explain it. Imposture theories, swoon theories, vision theories, spiritualistic appearances, but each effectually refutes the others and the empty grave and manifestations of the risen one remain as inexplicable as ever. The newest hypothesis I have seen, that of Oscar Holtzman, in his recent Life of Jesus is, I confess, a novelty. It is, in brief, that Joseph of Arimathea, in whose new tomb Jesus was laid, not liking the idea of a crucified malefactor reposing in his honorable family fault, had the body secretly removed. Hence the empty tomb and the belief of the disciples that Christ had risen. Could anything, one may ask, be more exquisitely wooden than this suggested solution of the mystery of faith on which the Christian church is built? The outcome of the whole is that naturalism does not hold in its hands the answer to the question, Who is Christ? The Christ of the Gospels and the Epistles still lives and rules. End of section 14